Calvary, our blessed Savior died, gave his life to save the world from loss. In his pain and agony, for every sin to hide, shed the blood that stained the old rugged cross. Twas his blood, his precious blood. That stained the old rugged cross. Twas his love that paid the awful cost. Oh, souls so far astray, come and plunge today in the blood that stained the old rugged cross. To the cross, the rugged cross, they nailed his precious hand. precious blood that stained the old rugged cross. Twas his love that paid the awful cost. Oh, soul so far astray, come and plunge today in the blood that stained the old rugged cross. Twas his blood, his precious blood that stained the old was his love that paid the awful cost. Oh, soul so far astray, come and plunge today in the blood that stained the old rugged cross. Oh, soul so far astray, come and plunge today in the Stay in the old rugged cross. Amen. Let's take our Bibles tonight, or this morning, turn over to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, as we continue in our series... Add to your faith. Again, that's our theme this year, as we'll note here in just a moment. But 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Let's begin in verse 1. I'll read aloud. You read silently with me, if you would, please. The Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness 
charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. The church, of course, had endured a number of attacks from without. And the Roman emperor, along with his subjects, were in the, not in any way supportive of Christianity. As a matter of fact, they declared all that war on them. The believers that Peter is addressing in this particular passage are those that have encountered severe persecution. And uh, though through it all, God had delivered them. God had met their need and God had enabled them to weather the storm. Now Peter writes the second letter, uh, 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter, his concern is not with the attack from without, but more so the attack from within. False teachers, heretics, doubters, and those that were faithless threatened the well-being and the the real uh, core of the body of saints. And so with this present concern and potential collapse of their faith, Peter outlines a course of action, a course of action that would ensure their fruitfulness and ultimately their future as believers. It provides them with a prescription for success. Peter, along with God now, are determined. They're determined to assist the saints, to equip the saints, to enable the saints, to guarantee that they would neither be barren nor unfruitful or ever fall. And so the secret of success, or to that success, is described in the passage. And it's a three-letter word, a simple three-letter word, add, add. It is this concept that lays the foundation for our church theme this year. Add to your faith. If you and I ever hope to be neither bare nor unfruitful, then we have to add to our faith. We said that if you and I long to succeed in the Christian life, we're going to have to add to our faith. If I ever want to uh, stand tall and I never want to fall from the grace, not the grace so much, but from the, the place of God in my life, then I've got to add to my faith. And you do too. And Peter basically is saying in the first portion of the passage, you know, I've made it clear to you that you're safe and you're on a sure foundation, a faith foundation. Your salvation's secure and your reservation is, is, is truly recorded in heaven. However, in order that you continue to grow in Christ, neither be barren nor unfruitful, to ensure that you never fall, you're going to have to add to your faith. You're going to have to put forth the greatest effort in your life to adding some things to that faith foundation. We noted that the characteristic and the qualities that are listed here in 2 Peter chapter 1 build upon one another. That they don't just stand independently of one another. J. Darrell Charles stated, Each virtue, a fruit of the life of faith, facilitates the next. None is independent of the others. See, Christ-like character develops in much of the same way that an embryo develops. And we talked about that. We said that it was kind of like an embryo in a mother's womb. All the parts of the body develop simultaneously. The fingers are forming and growing while the, the lungs are developing 
the arms and the torso as well. But even though all the parts are growing at the same time, they develop at a different rate. And the fact is, is that there are some noticeable developmental sequences. First thing that we notice in the picture of an embryo, we said, was the big head. Right? And, and, and of course, the big head holds the brain. If the brain doesn't develop properly, if it doesn't continue to grow as it ought to, then guess what? There'll be other deformities in the body. So although things are developing sequentially, the fact, I mean, that they're developing simultaneously, they're really sequential in the sense that certain ones have to kind of spawn on the others or precede the others. And in this case, the head. And then before long, we note that the lungs become a center of, of focus because now every one of those extremities has to be nourished and supplied. Well, that's exactly how the Christian life is, according to the Apostle Peter. Christ-like character develops simultaneously, but it also develops... I'm getting mixed up now. Those two big words. Those are big words, by the way. You've got to understand that. I wish I could say I've been taking medicine this morning, but I haven't. If you ever drank, I do want to ask you this. <clears throat> I put lemon water, lemons in this water, and I put hot water in it. Don't tell me it turns poisonous. But anyway, <clears throat> oh, 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 no. But anyway, it really is bitter now. What's bitter? Is it because I put the skins in with it? Is that what it is? Great. Nobody ever told me that. I think that's what's causing me to have a problem with this. So anyway, we'll get through it. <clears throat> but nonetheless, we have this developmental sequence that's taking place. And you know, the Christian life's the same. And the Apostle Peter, he's essentially saying, now that you're saved, if you're going to neither be barren nor unfruitful, if you're never going to fall, then you're going to have to add to that faith that you have. You're going to have to do that. And so it begins by saying, add to your faith virtue. And we talked about virtue last week. We noted that virtue is the driving force behind all other characters and qualities. You have to build upon that first quality, and that's virtue. Virtue speaks of moral excellence. It speaks of an inner strength, a courage that translates into or compels us to live a morally excellent life, a genuinely good life. Virtue takes us beyond simply belief and it moves us to behaving. We also said that that word virtue is the word arete, which means excellent. And we noted how in the Greek culture, something was only excellent if it fulfilled its purpose. I mean, a sword that doesn't cut doesn't fulfill its purpose. Therefore, it's no longer arete or excellent. And the truth is today is that as believers today, we have a purpose to fulfill. And if you and I as believers do not fulfill our purpose, then we cannot be excellent or filled with virtue. And what would that purpose be in light of the passage? Well, we're to become like Christ in our character. And then we're to become like Christ in the manner of life in which we live in order to show others what Christ is like so that they too can honor him. And without that great desire of Christ-likeness, without the decision to pursue our purpose for existing at any cost, 
Without the willingness to ditch or let go of all other distractions and pursuits, we will never truly arrive at the destination God would have us in this faith journey. Again, virtue is the driving force behind all other of these characters and qualities. And so full Christian maturity is built upon a foundation that begins with the wholehearted pursuit of Christ himself. He becomes the goal, the desire, the longing. And then we must add to our virtue. The apostle says in 2 Peter 1.5, and beside this, <clears throat> giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Once you've resigned yourself to the pursuit of Christ-likeness, you're going to have to add knowledge that will guide you along the way. See, the world is not short on knowledge, are they? I mean, the world has a lot of knowledge. Medical knowledge, industrial knowledge, finances and exploration. There's all kind of knowledge in psychology and geology and physics, science, math, music, knowledge Everywhere you turn today, you name it, and mankind has studied it to some degree or another. It's all those ologies, the studies of. But the knowledge that we're to add is not of a worldly system, but a wonderful Savior. Look in Second Peter again in our chapter, chapter 1. Look at verses 2 and 3 here. Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The passage says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our Lord and, the, and Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Notice verses 5 and 6 again, the ones that we are presently focusing on. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and so on. Verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the knowledge is not the knowledge of Worldly things. It's the knowledge of a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. So we are to add to our faith virtue. To this, this, this empowering, overwhelming desire and longing to be Christ-like. We are to add knowledge. Knowledge, not just generally, but knowledge specific. Jesus Christ knowledge. Now, again, remember, we're to become like Christ in our character. And then, of course, in our manner of life. So that ultimately we can show others what Christ is like and they'll ultimately honor him. So it makes perfect sense then that we need knowledge of a person then. I mean, let's face it, how in the world can we become like someone we have never, we know nothing of? How can we ultimately fulfill our purpose for existing as believers without first knowing the one that we need to become Christ-like for. It is an amazing thought. You say it's so simple. I mean, why do you even have to mention it more than once? Because we don't do it. It 
So we must add knowledge, but not just any knowledge, God knowledge, the knowledge of Christ. So what do we need to learn about our Lord? I mean, <clears throat> that's what I want to note this morning. That's what I want to focus on. And so let's consider what, what do we need to know about the Lord? I mean, when he says to add to our virtue knowledge, what, what kind of knowledge? What do we really need to know about him? And so let's take a look at that. We're going to talk about three things today, very simply. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. <clears throat> we ask, Lord, that you'd bless us in these next few moments. Be glorified, Father, in it. Again, Lord, we know that without you, we're nothing. We can do nothing. So, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would be, a, Father, in this service, that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd move in our lives, that, Lord, you'd drive home these truths and you'd drive them deep in our hearts so that Satan couldn't come along and swipe them and steal them. The God of heaven today in this room, the majority, more than likely, already have settled their salvation. They're already feet planted on a firm foundation. But Lord, it's not enough to simply be saved. Salvation simply the starting point. Help us, Lord, to take the next step and to add some things. Lord, if there be any that are lost without you, may they come to you. May they be saved even today. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Wow, that's gotten rough. That's been in there for about three hours. Ooh, it gets worse. (laughs) Do you like grapefruit juice? I hate it. And that's, it's getting more like that all the time. So... The knowledge that we desire and require is going to be threefold. One, his person. Two, his work. And three, his ways. Let's consider his person. When we think about the person of Jesus Christ, we think about his qualities, his attributes. We think about who you know, he was as a person, his characteristics and qualities, if you will, Primarily, though, those attributes. We think of that God is infinite. Have you ever thought about that? He's infinite. That means that he goes beyond beginning and end. There is no beginning and end. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He has no limitations then. You know, we have all these limitations in life, but God has no limitations. It's important that we understand that we have a knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's important that we know who we need to be like because when it's all said and done, many of the times the reasons why we falter and fail in our faith is because we don't know who we're really even believing in. We don't understand how powerful and infinite and wonderful He is. And as a result, we have a tendency to doubt Him instead of believe on Him. He's infinite, but He's also omnipotent. That means that God is all-powerful. I mean, he spoke all things into being. Every last thing, every breath, every molecule, every cell, everything is a direct work of God, the Lord Jesus Christ in creation. Someone says, well, God created. Exactly. We know that God created, as we'll note here in a little bit, but we have the Lord Jesus Christ who is the creator. We see that God is good as well. He's so good. He is the embodiment of literally perfect goodness. There's nobody any better, any gooder than God. I had to get down on your level. (laughs) He's kind and he is benevolent and he's full of good toward his creation. He is love. Aren't you glad God's love? 
Someone says, well, why would God love us? There is no reason other than because. Because there is no reason. There's nothing good about us. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But God's love is so great that He ultimately gave His only begotten Son to come to earth. And again, I don't understand this Trinity thing like I'd like to understand it. But what I do know is that the love of Christ is so part of the being of God. He is love, the Bible says, literally love. When you think of God, you have to think of love because they are one and the same. And Jesus is God and therefore He is love. God is immutable. You know that God is and that he's always been. That he's been and is and he will ever be. He is literally perfect and he is unchanging. He is immutable. He's transcendent. You know, we can't think of God as simply the highest in the order of beings. It's not just that he sets above us all. That somehow he's number one on the throne. No, that's not really the idea at all. It's not just simply that he's the highest in an order of beings. No, that would just simply make him eminent. Excuse me, I should make him, yeah, uh, eminent. But the fact is he is transcendent. He's not just eminent over all. He's transcendent beyond all. Do you get that? You realize that? We have to really try to, it's hard to wrap our minds around these concepts because they are not physical, they are spiritual. God is just. He's righteous, he's holy, he's fair, he's equitable in all things. You can trust him to always do what's right. He's just. I mean, ultimately we we struggle with that, don't we? I mean, we have circumstances and situations in our life that come along and honestly, we begin to question God. We begin to wonder whether or not he even cares about us anymore. We question his motives. We question his care. We question so many things about God. But if we would only realize, only know that he is just, we wouldn't have to question whether or not what he's doing is right or wrong. It's so important that we understand the person of Jesus Christ as we begin to build upon faith and virtue because without that, we'll not be able to go to the next step and truly develop it the way God intended. We must get a proper view and a proper bird's eye view of God. We need to understand who He really is, not who we believe He is. We can't kind of create a box and place God in it. We have to go to the Word of God and we have to identify God in the Scriptures because truly so many of our ideas are preconceived ideas. He's holy. I mean, God's holiness is not simply a better version of the best we know. He's not just a little bit better than any human being we've ever met. He is utterly and supremely untainted. No one has any, even remotely comes close to his holiness because he is pure holiness. He's self-sufficient. All things are God's to give and everything that is given is from God. You can't receive anything that he hasn't already given you. He's omniscient. We could say he's all-knowing. God's knowledge encompasses 
every possibility, every situation, every circumstance. God knows all. He is never caught off guard or by surprise. So often we're caught off guard. We receive a bad report from the doctor and we wonder, how could this happen? God did know all along. God knew before he ever created you that call would come in. How difficult is it as believers when we stand by ourselves and try to understand the world around us. When our worldview is simply based upon our understanding and our perspective. The reality is that God intends us to see things through His eyes, His way. And the only way we do that is when we know and understand and have a knowledge of the person of God. He's merciful. His compassion is infinite. It's inexhaustible. Think about what He did for us on Calvary. Allowing Christ Himself to take the judgment of mankind on Himself. How merciful was that? You know, and let me just end by saying he's sovereign. He's sovereign. God in heaven presides over every event, every circumstance, every situation, great or small. He's control. He's in control of our lives. He has the right to do with us as he pleases. He is sovereign. He rules. His entire creation, as he sees fit, he's sovereign. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is so many more things than that. And in each case, we can find evidence of it in the Word of God. As we go to the Word of God, we learn his person. We are to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Not just any knowledge, but knowledge of his person. Number two, knowledge of his work. His work. What about his work as creator? You know, so often we don't really give Jesus Christ the credit he deserves in creation. We'll talk about, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Do you realize, over in the book of Colossians, turn there if you would please, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, we'll read 16 and 17, that the word of God attributes creation to Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Reading just those two verses, one may surmise that he's talking about God as in Genesis 1.1. He is. But if you go back a verse or two in Colossians, you realize the subject or the person involved or being spoken of is Jesus Christ. He, the Bible says, is creator. But remember, he is God too. To think about Jesus Christ as creator, boy, does that open up a number of avenues. We, we talk about God being omnipotent, all-powerful, to think that he could create the heaven and the earth, to realize that he is nothing impossible on his behalf. Boy, does that change our perspective when we face a trial in our life? Most of our failures 
are a direct result of a bad God concept. We don't understand who he really is. We don't really know him for the way the Bible defines him, describes him. We almost look at him like we look at people. If a father let us down, then we assume God can let us down. If a spouse left us on our own, we think God could leave us on our own. If a friend stabbed us in the back and hurt us, we think somehow, if we're not careful, the devil will use that to say, see, God can do the same. He says he's a friend, and he'll leave out, sticketh closer than a brother. Our God concept is skewed. That's why it's important that we have a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just a knowledge, a medical knowledge, not just arithmetic, not just our ABCs. We need a knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the knowledge he's referring to here. His person and his work as creator. His work as prophet, priest, and king. Jesus occupies three main offices. And those offices are just what we said. Prophet, priest, and king. In other words, Jesus functions in each at some point. He doesn't necessarily function as all three at once. But at some point, past, present, or future, he is all three. Prophet, priest, and king. As a prophet, we know that a prophet's someone that God reveals truths to. A prophet will share those truths. He'll speak for God. He'll communicate to people those truths that God has given to him. Without a doubt, Jesus did that when he was here on earth. He did the will of his Father. He revealed the Father to the people. He spoke the things that the Father himself told him to say. In John 8, 28, the Bible says, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. He is a prophet. Not only that, he's a priest. I like this one. I mean, not only did he come and offer himself in order that, I mean, as, offer himself as a perfect sacrifice on your behalf and mine. But the Bible teaches us that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on our behalf even now. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Hebrews 7, 25. Like they say, if if it's good, it's not good for you. This is certainly, it's good for me. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Wherefore, he's able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ is a priest. He makes intercession on our behalf. He offers sacrifice himself. And then he makes intercession on our behalf. Isn't that a wonderful truth today? That the God of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of all the universe, is our priest. You wouldn't be headed to heaven if he wasn't your priest. You wouldn't have your sin forgiven if he wasn't your priest. Prophet, priest, and king, though. He's king. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. It's easy for us in a setting like this to say, absolutely, praise God, he's king, he's king, he's king. Boy, we get fired up about Jesus being king. And boy, one day he's going to establish his throne. And one day he's going to rule and reign. 
One day he's going to put everybody in their place. Well, you get fired up with that stuff. But you know, as king, that means he's our king too. What kind of subject are we? Are we yielded to the king? Are we submitted to the king? Are we allowing the king to have rulership in our life? We like it when he's king over all those wicked people. Those sinners, those vile wretches. What about us? We're his children. If anybody ought to be submissive and surrendered to the king, it ought to be us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 14. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his time he show, shall show, shew, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming back. It is appearing. We'll see him. Because see who it's talking about, there's the same one it's referring to over in the book of Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. None other than Jesus Christ. He is a king today. He'll be a king tomorrow too. But not only that, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, his work in creation and also his prophet, priest, king. But we see his work as a servant. Look in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. We think about the Lord Jesus. We think about his earthly ministry. And without a doubt, he is truly an example to all of us. But what's he exemplifying? Servitude. Probably the easiest thing in our lives to do is be concerned about me. That's easy. That's natural. That's normal. Because that's how it's created. That's atomic. Sure, it's easy. I want the raise. I want a new house. I want that new car. I want this and I want that and I deserve this and I deserve that and I should have some respect and I should be elevated and magnified. I should be preeminent. I should be in charge. I mean, me, 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 I, I, I. We understand that. We hear it all the time. But it's true. It's so natural. It's so normal. I'm always amazed sometimes when somebody will come to me and they'll have a problem with something and they'll act like, like they're the only one. Boy, you just don't understand. It's just so easy for me to... I'm like, wow. Man, that, that's amazing. That, that's a revelation, friend. It's so easy for you to sin. Amazing. Are you kidding me? We all, it's easy for all of us. I don't care what it is. So it says, I struggle with lust. I struggle with, and he goes right down the line. I think to myself, oh yeah, you're the only one. Let's work on you. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Because see, when it's all said and done, you want to know why we struggle with those things? Because it's all about me. My needs, my pleasure, my comfort. It's always that way. That's natural. That's normal. But notice Jesus Christ, totally different, completely different. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Not only did He come to just lay His life down for you and I, but the Bible says He came to minister to us, to serve us, His creation. Isn't that amazing? 
the God of all creation, turns around and says, although you're sinners and although I'm going to have to die on your behalf so that you can be brought back into fellowship with me, I'm going to come and minister to you. I'm going to serve you. The creator serving the creature. We see his person. We see his work. We know that also he has the work of a judge. In John chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. I mean, what a sobering thought it is to realize that you and I will stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat. Oh, I know it won't be our sin in question, but our service will be. God help us to realize that we're going to face Him. And we'll face Him naked. We won't be shrouded in our excuses. And, and it won't matter what our intentions were. All that will matter is what is. Well, I, I didn't want to hurt that person, so I continued to partake in the sin because I didn't want to break their heart. You think that's going to have any weight in heaven one day at the judgment? Oh, I'm glad that you chose to adore and honor them above me. Thank you. Appreciate your honesty. Oh, we'll let it slide this eternity. I don't think so. He's judge. See, it's important that the child of God understand his person, but it's also important that the child of God understand his work. And finally... We need a knowledge of his ways. His ways. See, the kind of Christ-centered worldview that we're talking about far exceeds this idea of WWJD. What would Jesus do? And somebody says, well, that's very... I think it's wonderful that people are concerned about what would Jesus do. I think it's good, too, in one sense. But what we're talking about, the knowledge that we have with the Lord, the knowledge of His ways goes beyond just what would He do. See, the problem is today is it's nice to just be able to talk about, well, what do you think Jesus would do? What do you think He would say? Where do you think He would go? Well, that's nice. Because now you can have your opinion. I can have my opinion. Because really, when it's all said and done, what would Jesus do? It's a question. But let me tell you something. There are some definites in the Bible. It, it, it's not what would Jesus do. Rather, it's what is Jesus like? What has he done? That's the real issue. What were his ways with the woman at the well? How did he deal with her? I don't have to ask what would he do. I know what he did. I mean, what about those ten lepers? What about his mother at the cross? Well, what would Jesus do about this preacher? No, what did he do about it? We find example after example in the Word of God how Jesus dealt with things while he was on earth. We are to be Christ-like. That means we ought to live, act, and be like Jesus. I don't have to guess what he was or who he was. I read it. It's right in the Word of God. But we like that kind of subjective kind of feel because then everybody can have an opinion and we don't have to agree because your opinion isn't any more important than mine. 
But there is somebody's opinion that does matter more than all of ours. And it's him. And he's recorded Jesus Christ's life on earth. And we're to understand that life on earth because it describes and defines what our life ought to be. I mean, how did he deal with it? I'm having a problem with some of my, <clears throat> some of my employees. Well, how did he deal with it? He had some disciples. Well, what would Jesus do? No, what, what would Jesus do? You mean, what did he? I mean, he did it. How do you handle them? Well, it's different in business. Oh, okay. And that's why we never grow to the maturity that we ought to be in Christ. Because what we really don't want, we don't want God telling us who we have to be. We want to kind of become what we want to be. And then we still want to tag it with Christianity. And tag it with, I'm a Jesus freak, baby. What are you talking about? I mean, all we have to do is read the Bible. What, what did Jesus do? What would Jesus do? No. What did he do? Think about his critics. How do he handle his critics? I mean, think about him over there with Pilate. Pilate leveling, you know, leveling all these uh, <clears throat> threats against him and having false witnesses. What do you have to say about those false witnesses, Jesus? How did he deal with it? Again, what would Jesus do? No. What did he do? What did he do? What about his persecutors? Those that ultimately placed him on the cross. How did he deal with that one? Hey, listen, it gets quiet. You want to know why? Because the way he did it is not how we want to do it. Man, I don't want nobody putting their finger in my face. I don't want anybody falsely accusing me. I don't want somebody malign and mistreating me. I'm not going to put up with it. What would Jesus do? No, what did he do? See, that's how you're Christ-like when you do it the way he did it. If we would do things the way Christ did, we'd be Christ-like. And that's why we need a knowledge of his ways. Because the goal is to be Christ-like, to ultimately elevate Christ in the eyes of others so that they too will honor and glorify the very God who created them. Because right now they're in sin and they can't glorify God because that was their purpose for being created anyway, is to bring glory to him and honor to him and pleasure to him, according to Revelation 4.11. So what has he said? What is he doing in the earth today? What role does he wish me to play? What kind of person does he wish me to become? How does he wish me to view temporal things? How does he want me to view eternal things? What will really matter in the end when I stand before him as, a, as my judge? See, those are the questions we need to be asking. His ways. As we add to our faith virtue and as we continue to add knowledge, we need to understand it's not just any knowledge. It's the knowledge of a person, his work and his ways, and that person is none other than Jesus Christ himself. How can we ever hope to be like him if we know nothing of him? With the present concern and potential collapse of their faith, Peter outlines a course of action to ensure their faithfulness and their future. He provides them with a prescription for success. And he says, you know, I've made it clear. Yep, I've made it clear that you are safe on your faith foundation. You don't have to worry about losing it because you never earned it. 
I gave it to you as a gift. But in order to be neither bare nor unfruitful, if you want to be in a position where you're truly fruitful on my behalf, if you really want to be in a position where you never fall, then you're going to have to put forth your greatest effort. Not an effort, but your greatest effort. To adding some things to your faith foundation. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. Knowledge of his person. Knowledge of his work. Knowledge of his ways. And there's not one of those things that we can't learn about that isn't bound in this book, the Bible. You do not learn those things by studying at the university down the street. You learn those things by studying at the university bound between these two, these, these cover right here, the Word of God. I wonder, do you know Him as your Savior this morning? I mean, He is love, and He loved you so much that literally He literally came to earth, died in your stead, took your place on Calvary. By rights, you deserve to die on that cross. It's your sin that ultimately placed Him there. It was my sin that put Him there on that cross. Someone says, well, who was responsible for the death of Jesus? I was. And you were. Because it was our sin that placed him there. But he loved us so much that he came anyway. He took our place. And he died in our stead. Do you know him as Savior today? If you don't, you can settle that today before you leave. In just a moment, the music will play and... We're going to have what we call an invitation where we invite people to respond to the message or to the Spirit of God as He's moving and wooing in your life. And if inside you know that you need to settle this and someone, something in there, you don't even understand it, is saying you're a sinner and you need that Jesus that they're talking about, that preacher's talking about, that the Word of God speaks of, why don't you just get out of that seat as fast as you can when that music starts and get up here and have somebody take this book, this blessed book, the Word of God, the perfect book, and share with you a perfect Savior who laid down a perfect, gave us a perfect sacrifice so that you could have a perfect salvation. And then, if you know the Lord today, you're already saved. You're already on that faith foundation. Are you striving to learn more about Him today? Have you determined in your life, made it your goal and purpose to be Christ-like at all costs? And then once you've come to that decision, you've settled that in your life, you're able to take that next step of knowledge and say, now I need to have some direction, leadership in this. I need to know who it is that I'm truly believing in. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. Are you learning more about him now? His person, his work and ways. God help us today. Father, we come to you. We thank you.